Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the end. For nearly uh, 34 days, uh, by my count, we have been observing Lent, this period from Ash Wednesday uh, to Good Friday, as, as preparation for what is to come. And now it is almost here. And this week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday is called, according to the church calendar, Holy Week. And the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, devote approximately one-third of their books to the events of this final week. The entire birth, life, teaching, miracles of Jesus, all 30 years are are covered relatively briefly. Uh, But then this final week and and the events of this ultra-important week are, are, are broadcast with amazing detail by the gospel writers. And all this Lent, we have been looking at the theme here at Maranatha uh, of repentance in Scripture and asking the question, who needs repentance? And in each text that we've looked at, we found out different groups of individuals or individuals who need to repent of their sin and to return to the Lord. And this morning, Palm Sunday is no different. We'll look at the very, very familiar events in the story of of Palm Sunday and look at them asking the question, who needs repentance? Uh, And we're going to discover at least four groups of people who need to repent and to turn to the Lord. And the text is a little bit longer this morning, so I want to break it up. Uh, We're going to look at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and, uh, and then later on we'll see what happened after his entry. And uh, since I've had so much help this morning leading the service, I'd like your help a little bit uh, to uh, read some text with me. I've got some text on the screen. Do we have that on the screen? Perfect. And there's going to be some in, in bold and italicized and yellow, and I would like you guys to read that portion out loud. I'll read the rest, but you read the stuff that's in bold and in yellow. So would you stand with me this morning out of reverence for God's word? Again, we'll be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, reading in Jesus' name. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them on at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread out their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. 
Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day and we thank you for Palm Sunday when you entered into Jerusalem, entered as a king, entered as our Savior King who, who uh, would eventually give his life for us. Uh, not a political Messiah, not a, a governmental Savior, but one who uh, saved our souls. You knew what we needed most and we thank you for that. Be with us again as we look at this uh, familiar text and uh, examine our own lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may be seated. Who needs repentance? Who needs to repent? And again, in this familiar Palm Sunday text, we recognize that those who awaited the coming of their Savior King needed to repent. And now Matthew, as he, as he tells us in verse 1 that Jesus is, is drawing near to Jerusalem. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Passover was one of the three yearly festivals that Jews were expected to travel to the capital city to celebrate. Uh, Pesach was Passover, Shuvat was the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost, and Sakat was the Feast of, of Tabernacles or, or Tents or Booths. And ancient Israelites were commanded by the Torah, by the law, to make these pilgrimages uh, year in and year out to, uh, to worship and to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Passover was seen as the most important of those feasts. If you could only make it to one out of those three, make it to Passover. That's the major celebration. It was always well attended. And uh, conservative estimates guess that each year, somewhere between 40 and 200,000 pilgrims uh, flocked to Jerusalem, while the Jewish historian Josephus, who, who often actually tended to inflate his numbers, estimated that 2.7 million people journeyed to uh, a particular Passover feast. But either way, uh, either way you look at it, it's a lot of people coming. And for the Israelites, Passover was a celebration of remembrance. At Passover, the Jews looked back on a time when the Lord God miraculously delivered them and their, their, their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. Specifically, Passover was a remembrance of the final of the ten plagues that, that God had done in order to free his people. The Lord had one by one demonstrated his power and his uh, uh, ability over the false gods and false deities of Egypt. But Pharaoh's heart was so hard that he would not let God's people go. And so God sent one final plague, the angel of death, to kill every firstborn male. Only those whose, whose homes had the blood of the, of the sacrificial lamb posted on their door frames uh, would be passed over by the angel of death. And so each year, as they sacrificed the Passover lamb, they would remember that time that the lamb died instead of us. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with, with numerous other worshipers to remember and to celebrate that deliverance. And as he arrives, he's given a reception that is really fit for a king. And the story is familiar, isn't it? Jesus walking into town with his disciples and, and the crowd that had accompanied him for a while now. And as he, as he nears the holy city, he sends two disciples into a small village to borrow a donkey. And as he rides in on that donkey, the crowd uh, spreads their cloaks and the palm branches of the trees across the road, uh, in essence, to roll out the red carpet for Jesus. And while others waved these palm branches just like the kids did and said, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And as I read and as I reread this text in preparation for this message, I was, I was struck again once more of, of the simple fact of the mode of transportation that, that Jesus chose, right? A donkey, a common, ordinary beast of burden, stubborn as all can be. Nobody of importance, uh, no rabbi, no messiah, no king would ever ride a donkey, and I was also struck by the fact that, that, that he chose to ride into Jerusalem at all. Uh, Bethphage on the Mount of Olives where his disciples got the donkey wasn't far from Jerusalem, only about two miles. Uh, and that might seem like a long way for us to walk. Uh, but Jesus had, as we're told at the end of chapter 20, just the week before, walked nearly 18 miles all uphill from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, so he wasn't tired or, or winded or exhausted as, as most of us would be. He didn't need any assistance to finish this trip. But he chose to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey for a very specific purpose. Matthew says in verse 4 that Jesus did so to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah. Behold, Zechariah said, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. And Jesus knew that as he took the road into Jerusalem on a donkey on that first Palm Sunday, his choice of, of transportation would be an important signal to the crowds. By now, his popularity as a teacher, as a rabbi, as a miracle worker had, had reached a fever pitch, and the people were expecting him to be the Messiah that they had hoped for and finally you know, overthrow the Roman government so we can have our own state and nation and things like that. And so the Savior King's choice of transportation that day really revealed his humility. Kings don't ride donkeys. Again, they're, they're slow, they're stubborn, they're common, they're ordinary. Kings ride war horses, strong, fearless war horses. But the choice of a donkey meant that Jesus came not to conquer, but to work, to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And just as the king's choice of transportation revealed his humility, the cry of the crowd revealed their own hearts. Hosanna! And this morning, the children walked into church as, as we sung that song, Hosanna, and that traditional processional was probably replicated countless times across uh, the nation, across uh, the world today in churches. But have you ever wondered why the crowds waved palm branches on that first Sunday? Why, why those? Well, it turns out there's, there's some important significance behind palm branches. And, and by the way, I had actually written this part of the sermon before I read the, the really excellent article that Pastor Jerry Moen <laughs> wrote on the back of your bulletin. I just want to get that out there first. But uh, Moen is one of our great professors at our Bible college and seminary. And so for, for Israel, palm branches uh, had become a, a sort of a national symbol, sort of like, like the eagles or the stars and the stripes would be here in the States. They would mint palm branches on their coins, engrave it on their buildings, draw it on their business documents. And this national symbol, the palm branch, had become a, a symbol of victory. They would wave it in celebration as heroes returned victorious from battle. And uh, Pastor Moen mentions this, but also a guy by the name of Simon Maccabeus in 142 BC. He uh, successfully drove the Romans out of Jerusalem and purified the temple. And when he was uh, returned, he was greeted by a hero's welcome, an adoring nation who waved palm branches at their new king. And so that Sunday before Passover, the Jews greeted the arriving Jesus with the same sort of hero's welcome, a welcome fit for a king. 
And as Jesus is riding by, they, they cry out to their new hero. They cry out, Hosanna. Hosanna is a Hebrew word literally meaning, oh, save us, we pray. And we've come across that word uh, a couple of times already this morning. Not only did we sing it when the children entered, uh, but those verses were actually read um, in our Old Testament scripture reading from today, uh, from Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Psalm 118 is seen as a messianic psalm, meaning that it pointed forward to the Messiah, to the Christ, the one who was to come. And it was seen as a messianic psalm well before the time of Jesus. Those who were living in Old Testament times, living on the other side of the cross, Excuse me. They recognized those words that that psalm pointed forward to the Messiah. And so as they are shouting out save us we pray, hosanna, they are they are taking those words of prophecy and directly applying them to Jesus. They believed that he was the Messiah, their savior king who was coming. But Jesus came with a a different purpose in mind. He did not come to be a political king. He did not desire to overthrow the Romans like Simon Maccabeus had done before him. His purpose was different. Before Jesus and his disciples reached Jerusalem, he told them this from chapter 20. He He said, see this. See, we are going to Jerusalem And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. You see, Jesus' sole purpose in going to Jerusalem for the Passover was to die. He came to be a Savior King, yes, but not a political Savior King. He came to be the Savior of our souls. And to accomplish this, he knew he would have to suffer. He knew the sufferings would be at the hand of the chief priests and the scribes, the the religious leaders of the day. He knew that he would be mocked, beaten, uh, and eventually crucified. And he knew that he would have to give his life. He knew that he would have to die. But his death wasn't a, a needless, pointless death. His death on the cross was for you. He died in your place and on your behalf, taking your sin upon himself, taking the penalty that you deserved. And he also knew that as he went into Jerusalem that day on that Palm Sunday, he knew that death would have no power over him, would have no sway over him. He knew that he would be raised, resurrected from the dead. And this resurrection from the dead was proof positive that his death on Good Friday paid for our sins. Yes, Jesus came for those who awaited the coming of their Savior King. And those who were waiting received him as such. They welcomed him, giving him a reception fit for a king. But there are also a few other groups and individuals uh, who witnessed Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday who were in need of repentance and needed their Savior King. We read the next group in verses 12 and 13. Uh, those who needed repentance were those who had made God's house a den of robbers. Look at verses 12 and 13 if you have your Bible. I don't think I have words on the screen, so you're going to have to pull out your Bibles for these verses. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house 
shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And this, if, if you're counting, is actually the second time in the Gospels that Jesus cleansed the temples of money changers and sacrifice sellers during Passover. John, in his Gospel, in the second chapter of his Gospel, records an earlier Passover, probably about three years earlier, when Jesus, as one of his first official acts, uh, made a cord of whips and drove out those who bought and sold in, in God's house and made it a den of robbers, making it a house of trade. But that cleansing three years earlier obviously had no lasting impact on the Jews. As Jesus is, is driving out the money changers and those who bought and sold, I think it's important uh, to, work, to note what Jesus is not doing in that. Uh, Jesus is not condemning church bookstores or Girl Scouts selling cookies in the fellowship hall during uh, cookie time, right? Uh, he's not condemning the youth group for raising money for a national youth conference. I don't think that's what he's getting at at all. But what Jesus is condemning is the extortion that was happening as the people of God came to worship the Lord. As the, the Jewish rabbis said that in order to worship God, you, you had to do it, and you had to do it paying the right price. You see, the Old Testament Mosaic law prescribed how the Jews were to celebrate the Passover and what animals they could use to bring as a sacrifice. In Exodus chapter 12, they're told to take a lamb, a male lamb, without any spot or blemish for their sacrifice. And, and of course, you could, you could bring your own lamb from your own flock to be sacrificed. That was 100% allowed. But there was a chance, and honestly, as time went on, there was a, probably a, a better chance than not, that as the priests examined your lamb, they would find something wrong with it, a spot or a blemish that would disqualify it from being sacrificed. So no, it's far better that you, you know, just spare that lamb all of that travel. And who wants to come 100 miles bringing a lamb, right? Just, just purchase one for a, a small fee, maybe a large fee, uh, one of our temple-approved lambs, and then you know your sacrifice will be accepted, right? And in order to worship God, right, there's also a temple tax that needed to be paid. Uh, ben Franklin's famous quip, right, there's no such or no certain things in life but death and taxes or however that went, right? That was true long before he penned it here, right? This tax was, was prescribed in the Jews' law of Moses. And Exodus 30 says that you have to pay one half of a shekel uh, for each person that was 20 years old or older. A half of a shekel wasn't much. It was about eight ounces or, or I'm sorry, eight grams or about a third of an ounce of silver. In today's market, a third of an ounce of silver is about $7.50, okay? So not too much. Um, and its intent in the beginning, right, was noble. The temple tax went to help the upkeep and maintenance of the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, but as Judaism expanded and Jews moved to foreign lands due to relocation or to exile, uh, that's when they began to run into trouble. That tax, according to the Jewish custom, could not be paid in just any currency. You couldn't pay for it with the Roman money. You couldn't pay for it with the Egyptian money, no. It had to be paid with Jewish money, Jewish currency. Uh, and so these money changers would be happy, very, very happy to help you pay the tax in the correct currency for a fee, of course, right? Your, your simple $7.50 tax now became, after shipping and handling, $15, right? <laughs> Just this last week, I, I, bought, a, I bought a book from uh, christianbook.com, right? For $10, and it came 
with a free audiobook. I thought, hey, I'm getting a good deal. A book, an audiobook, 10 bucks, hey, no problem. But then you go right and you click on shipping, $11 <laughs> to ship my $10 book, right? And it's not just Christian book that, that gets you with those things. I've bought countless books, for example, on Amazon, right, for a penny, one penny, and then $5 shipping for my one penny book. And you, you watch the, the TV infomercials, right, that sell you the newest, next greatest, best thing, and it will give it to you for free, just as long as you pay, right, $40 for us to ship it to you, right? <laughs> um, but th those are the kind of ex uh, exorbitant things that were going on in the temple. And because of those, Jesus, on that Holy Week, set out to cleanse the temple, to restore the right and the true worship of the Lord. He rightly says that the house of the Lord was to be a house of prayer. The temple was to be the place where people would meet God. It's where God had promised to meet his people. It was to be a place where, where all people from all nations could draw near to God, seeking him, repenting of their sins, returning to the Lord in faith. Those who had made a small fortune off the, the worship of the Lord needed to come in true repentance and faith to the Lord. But yet, despite all of that abuse in the temple and in the religious systems, there were those in the temple that day who did recognize their need for repentance, and uh, especially their need for Jesus. Look at verse 14. It says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now that the marketplace was, was removed from the temple, for the time being anyway, the temple returned to the purpose that the Lord had intended for it. And Matthew tells us of two groups of people, the blind and the lame, who came to Jesus in the temple. And now Matthew doesn't take time to record the details of, of each one of these healings that that occurred in the cleansed temple. But I'm sure those healings went down like the countless uh, thousands before. Jesus would talk with each one, asking him, what do you want me to do for you? And then healing them. And I imagine, as with many of his conversations, he ended with, uh, with the phrase he so often repeated, go in peace, your faith has made you well. Those who realized their needs, not just the, the physical ones, but the spiritual ones, let the, left the temple that day cleansed, changed. And again, they were changed more than just physically. They had encountered Jesus, the Savior King, and their Savior King. Have you encountered Jesus? Have you met him as your Savior King? If not this week, this, this holy week is a perfect time for you to come to Jesus in faith. He stands ready to receive you. And then there's one final group of people who, knew, who needed repentance that Jesus uh, brought and who Jesus encountered that day, but uh, not in the same way as, as those who realized their need for him. Uh, in the temple that day were some indignant religious leaders, indignant religious leaders who needed repentance. Look at verses 15 through 17. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to, them, or said to him, I'm sorry, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never written out of the, or not, never read, I'm sorry, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The chief priests and the scribes, some of those religious leaders of the day, were angry. And, and why? What was the reason for their indignation? 
They saw the overturned tables and him who overturned them. They, they witnessed the miracles and him who healed them. And, and he heard the cries of, and the praises of the children and he who received those praises. And they were upset. And I think the thing that, that upset them most was the, was the praises that the children were singing. And they said, Jesus, don't you understand what these little kids are saying about you? They're praising you, a mere carpenter's son, as the Messiah. Tell them to be quiet. We're in the temple of God. You need to be quiet and silent in church, right? How did Jesus respond? <laughs> did he say, oh yeah, kids, my, my bad. We're, we're in God's house. We need to be, be quiet and show the utmost respect. No, Jesus gladly received the praises that the children offered him, that the children gave to him. And he said, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies. Oftentimes, children can be our greatest teachers, can't they? We think we teach them, but they teach us more. And I'm, I'm continually astounded by the, by the faith and, and depth of insight that my kids have, and not because Liz and I are like parents of the year, far from it, right? <laughs> Often, in spite of us, they demonstrate a depth of love, of faith, and of, of trust in the Lord that really puts me to shame, and it was no different on that Palm Sunday. While the chief priests and the scribes grew indignant, grew angry and upset at Jesus coming as king, the children understood it. And they could not keep silent, even in the temple area. You know, I'm, I'm so glad Maranatha is a church that welcomes and loves children, right? Squirmy kids, wiggly kids, loud kids, and those are just the junior hires. As a church, we do a number of things really well, right? And I think children's ministry is, is one of those things. We have so many great people who are involved in so many different aspects of children's ministry. It, it begins with a great crew of Sunday school leaders and teachers, those who have stepped up to teach the littlest ones the greatest truth of life. And I, I know it's tough. At times, right, they don't want to listen. They don't want to participate. They don't want to sing in the songs. They, but those seeds that you are sowing now can yield fruit, a great fruit for eternity. The work that you do, Sunday school teachers, is not in vain. Another aspect of children's ministry here at Maranatha takes place on Wednesday nights, right? Wednesday nights during supper and kids club it's such a joy to see so many kids from the community come and participate isn't it there are so many precious eternal human souls that are being reached on wednesday nights that may not otherwise come and have a chance to meet jesus the same thing can be said of our vacation bible school in the summer and yes it's a lot of work and yes it can be expensive and yes it brings in noisy kids who might make a mess of the church but when, when more than 70 kids come, many of whom have, have no church connection, when those kids have an opportunity to hear the gospel and the good news that Jesus loves them, it makes it all worth it. One of the hardest jobs in connection with VBS is that of the VBS director, right? And this year, nobody's been able to step up to the plate and take on those challenges as director. Uh, so the members of the Board of Ed are dividing those responsibilities among themselves. Please be in prayer for the Board of Ed this year as they head up VBS. And be in prayer as well for the position of Sunday school superintendent. With Susie's passing, we lost not only a wonderful wife and mother, grandmother, but we lost a great Sunday school superintendent and teacher. Many of your kids, many of uh, you, in fact, uh, had Susie as your first Sunday school teacher. 
<laughs> it was mentioned at her funeral on Friday, um, but Susie was often the last one to leave the church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> after myself, after Pastor Lloyd, even after Craig Herner, that's how late she would stay. <laughs> but she would always be in preparation for the next week, making sure teachers had the supplies and the materials that they needed. She worked tirelessly serving the teachers and, and, and teaching the littlest believers among us. Blessed be her memory. And as we think of some of those voids that are left, I, I, I couldn't help uh, but thinking, and maybe you're thinking the same thing, how can we help? What can we do? Now, the wonderful truth is, brothers and sisters, that God uses you as he has gifted you. And maybe, maybe teaching is something that he's gifted you in. If so, we'd, we'd love to put you to work. And if you're a behind-the-scenes person, we can put you to work too. There are a lot of scenes to be behind. We can uh, give you opportunities to serve. But also as we think of the, the reality that God uses us as he's gifted us, I want to close with a story uh, that Wayne Rice tells. He was a, a big uh, youth guy back in the late 80s, early 90s, and he tells this story uh, in connection with Palm Sunday. He writes, The donkey awoke, his mind still dwelling on the thoughts of yesterday, the most exciting day of his life. Never, never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. As the dawn broke, the donkey left his stable and walked into town and found a group of people gathered around the well. And he thought to himself, Ah, I will grace them with my presence. <laughs> but they didn't even notice him. They went on doing what they were doing and uh, didn't pay him any attention. And so the donkey uh, shouted out to them, Hey, throw your cloaks down. Don't you know who I am? But they just stared at him. Someone even uh, slapped him on the rear and uh, told him to get a move on it. <laughs> Heathens, he muttered to himself, uh, he said, I'll just go to the marketplace. There the good people are. They will remember me there. But the same thing happened there. Nobody paid him any attention as he, as he strutted up and down the main street in front of the marketplace. And he said, palm branches. Where are all the palm branches? Yesterday you threw me palm branches. So with his ego thoroughly shattered, the donkey returned home to his mother. And she said, foolish child, don't you realize that without him, you are just an ordinary donkey? Just like the donkey who carried Jesus in Jerusalem, we are most fulfilled when we are in the service of Christ. Without him, all of our best efforts are like filthy rags and amount to nothing. When we lift up Christ, when we exalt Christ, however, we are no longer ordinary people, but key players in God's plan to redeem the world. God uses you as he's gifted you. Each one of you have the calling, and, and frankly, uh, we all have the calling as Christians to lift up Christ in all of our interactions with one another. Uh, the people need to be introduced to our Savior King who gave himself for us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for that reality that you use us as you've gifted us. We thank you that you uh, sent your Son sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, taking our sin upon himself, uh, paying the penalty that we deserved. Thank you again for that grace and that forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.